hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> oh, Hello and welcome to episode 361 of The Stupid Cancer Show, The Voice of Young Adult Cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year Young Adult Brain Cancer survivor coming to you from The Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing Young Adult Cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. It's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks. Because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world, one chemo infusion at a time. We got a good show. Teens. Yes, teens with cancer. It's a thing. It sucks. It really sucks. Teens with cancer joining us. We're going to welcome teen survivors CJ George, Brianna Comerford, and Brianna's mom, Lorraine. to get a grasp on what is teen cancer. What's it like? It's 2015. It's about time we paid attention. Um, navigating diagnosis treatment when you're not quite a kid, you're not quite an adult. What's all that mean? Uh, so CJ in the spotlight and Brianna and Mom Lorraine and with special drop-in guest Robin from um, Hope Lab. We're going to learn more about what that is. And uh, with that, we'd like to kick off the show. Hello, Kenny. Hello, Matthew. And uh, hello, Mallory. Hello. How are you? I'm just standing. Congratulations. You're a resident of... Washington Heights. That's right. Manhattan. Yes, I now live in Manhattan. Yes. Very excited about yes. that. And hello, Noel. He's waving. He's no mic. There's no mic tonight. We've got a full house tonight. And Sean on the couch. Let's let's hear the, the horrible sounds here. There it goes. Buzz. <laughs> <laughs> We're fixing the audio, but how you doing, Sean? I'm doing swell. You had a good weekend, didn't you? I did. We, we had a conference and... We had a big weekend. It was a humongous weekend. OMG East, the fourth annual OMG East in yes. New York City. Yes. 150, 160, good numbers. Calculating the final numbers, <laughs> but we're in the 150 to 170 range it for was, sure. It was very nice. It was well done. Great panels, great survivors, incredible experience. Yes, our panels went exceedingly well, they and there was some well. great content. It was and helped. <laughs> <laughs> and Kenny helped. That's right. Um, yeah, Kenny, we did uh, some good. Uh, our, what the purple hoodies sold really well. Who'd have thought? <laughs> that was <laughs> your comment. Important, the most important takeaway from the, the conference: the purple hoodies. They purple, sold really well. Hoodies. Yeah, people like purple in hoodie form. They do, they do. Very nice. Um, we have um, anyone catch the moon? The, the the blood moon, whatever it was. I set up the tripod and the camera and went to town. Okay, what town? Uh, Williamsburg, <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> It got real cloudy over yeah. in New Jersey, uh, so okay. no such luck. Kenny, you had the, your little holy cow moment I saw on, on social. Which one was that? You took the picture of the moon from I where did. you were. Uh, my, I was at the bar, and the bar owner who lives on the second floor of the bar came out with a telescope. Oh, wow. Okay. So I took a picture through a telescope. You can do that? You can do that. That's amazing. Very nice. Well, uh, tonight, uh, as of this taping, is the season finale of uh, Chasing Life. 
Yes. No spoilers, but by the time people listen to this, it'll be over. Uh, we'll see what happens for if there's a season three, but we wish them good luck. Yeah, and there's a there's a big trip in this one. Oh yeah. Yeah, some interesting photos they've released from uh, Italy. Oh really? Yes. All right, so we it's shall exciting. see. We shall see. They may take a trip. Well, we're going to spend uh, the next uh, couple of minutes here at the top of the show talking with uh, Robin Rouskob from Hope Lab. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We love our drop-ins. I love to be a drop-in. This is so great. No, it is. It is. Um, so tell us, what is Hope Lab? So Hope Lab is a research and design organization. We're a nonprofit based in California. And our focus is really on how to integrate technology into kids' products to help with their overall resilience and um, you know, try and make their life a little bit better. Um, one of the products we make is called Remission and Remission 2. They are video games for kids with cancer. Um, and Remission 2, they're all, they're all free to play. You can download them at remission2.org or go to the iTunes store and put them on your phone. Um, and they're really just all a great way for kids who are dealing with, you know, this really crappy disease to kind of understand what they're going through. So you travel through the bloodstream and you zap your cancer cells with stuff that you actually use in treatment. So chemotherapy drugs and antibiotics and stuff like that. And so kids who play the game actually have a better understanding of what those medications are actually doing for them, aside from just making them feel yucky. Right. Um, so the kids who played the game were actually more apt to stick to treat their treatment adherence. And, and, and to me, that's what most fascinating. I met uh, so Richard Tate, mm-hmm. who was the grand poobah of uh, Hope Lab. He sure is. Yes. Uh, and I met more than 10 years ago, long before I was in cancer advocacy. Yeah. And I was introduced to just the because I'm a tech guy. Mm-hmm. I grew up in tech. I, I worked in tech. I was an advertising tech person. And I was introduced to this this whole concept of gamification. Right. Which sounds like you just a Simpsons word that was just made up on the spot. Probably someone yeah. did make it up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the whole concept of using, I think we joked that it was like Duke Nukem for cancer back in the day when it was just on like a CD-ROM for PC. Yes. Before like apps existed. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like totally like, I can't, I have a Mac, I can't use this. But it was really exciting to right. exist. And I had never even understood, again, wasn't in advocacy to understand the gravity of what you were attempting and how how visionary it was that time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're still dealing with compliance today, but right. you're looking at a market segment of teens and even tweens. And I think you went down to like six, seven year olds mm-hmm. were using the game mm-hmm. and they were actually excited about their it's like distraction therapy. They were right. really engaged and involved. Well, I mean, kids these days are like digital natives. You have like to say they, it like an old Jew. Kids these days. Kids these days. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's like it's a whole new generation. Yes. You know, when 10 years ago, and next year is our 10-year anniversary of remission. Yes. Um, which is, that's just incredible to think about. But, you know, as you said, it's on, it was on a CD-ROM. And right. I was talking to Brienne before the, before the show, and she's like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. And I'm like, it's all new now. You can, like, actually, like, have it on your phone. Well, that, you know. You've adapted. Yes. Yeah, we have. We have to. No, and it's very exciting. And you guys have exhibited at our conferences. You've Mm -hmm. had we've had great engagement, and uh, we're hoping to do some cool stuff around our mobile initiatives. Yeah, fantastic. uh, The next couple of years. Yeah, we're really excited about your Instapeer. Yeah. Um, That you know that is that's just such an incredible product that just really like connects people and gets you know like that's it's such an important thing to have to feel connected and that really just leads to overall resilience as well yeah and that's what we're trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. here and i i'm gonna i dropped the bomb at uh omg about Mm -hmm. how what we do is cancer research right and that it's not just lab coats and beakers and doctors and electron microscopes and molecules Mm -hmm. it's actually stuff in the real world and that we are cancer research yes absolutely yes and you guys help break that model Mm mm-hmm very early on, set the stage for everything we are today. So kudos for that. And how long have you been there? I have been with Hope Lab for two years. Okay. Yeah. And wh- what's your background? Um, before this, I actually worked at ballerina, no. a toy com- a toy company. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, for real. Um, it was that was a lot of fun too. So we made spy gear toys. So like remote control cars that like drove in the dark and you could like spy on your sister. Ooh, really fun. We okay. also made active games so kids who you know who were 
playing too many video games, could get up and be active. Wow. Uh, that was really fun. And then we got bought out by a, a big, big toy company. And um, I needed a job. And so I looked up Richard Tate, who yes. <laughs> I met at CES about nine years ago. Right. And I said, hey, hire me. hiring? <laughs> <laughs> Here's my res. <laughs> and so it took a few months, but it worked out. Right. It worked out. Well, we're glad you're here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. What a treat. We, we've, we've done an entire show with Richard and Hope Land. I and know. we plan to do that again in the future. But it, this is brief, but quality, not quantity. Yes, fantastic. Um, but thank you for, for dropping in. You're well, here for the rest of the show. I am, absolutely. Yes, thank cool. you. So uh, let's get to our, uh, our Survivor Spotlight, Kenny. CJ George, returning guest to Stupid Cancer, diagnosed at 9... With stage 3 lymphoma, he's now 16. He spent the last seven years battling his cancer in one way or another. Uh, two years as a patient, five years in remission, an advocate, and now a spokesperson for a stupid cancer and the young adult cancer movement. Please welcome back the one and only CJ George. Hello, young man. Hello, thank you. Makes me feel so old to say hello, young man. So, <laughs> I just dated myself. Anyway. I'm thrilled to have you back. We are really excited to finally have a dedicated show specifically to teen cancer. And uh, we have Brianna here with her mom. And uh, we're going to be discussing for the rest of the show what makes this new, what makes it unique, why has this not been a bigger deal, and how pediatric cancer research has served an amazing function and purpose. And you are the end results of that. And then now what? And where is the cancer world moving? So, um, no more dying pets commercials. We're living our lives, we're thriving, and we're making a difference for the next us. So, you were nine, and you were nine. Yes. <laughs> you were we both, were both nine. nine. Yes. Um, so, nine is what, fourth grade? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, why don't you start off with that? What was it like in fourth grade? Do you remember, first of all, being nine and having to go through this? It's actually pretty interesting because the further I, I get away from it, like the more details I seem to forget, but I think it's something um, important to remember. So I always talk to my parents and my family members about it, but I remember like being in a lot of pain because I was a pretty athletic kid and um, I, I wasn't able to run right. Like things, things just weren't good and I had an MRI done and that was what ultimately revealed the tumors and um when I heard I when I was told that I had cancer, it was kind of this thing like I've heard the word cancer before, but I didn't know exactly what it meant, like what cancer was inside of my body. So that was pretty scary in itself, just not knowing what this was inside of me. And then um, having it told to me by the doctors was pretty equally scary that I had these tumors inside of me. But um, yeah, it was a hard time for me for sure. So I know they did they stage lymphoma back then like they do today do you know what it was they did and it was stage three and is it was this all cll cml there's so many different kinds of lymphoma or hodgkin's or non-hodgkin's this was non-hodgkin's lymphoma okay that's pretty rare at nine it's typically leukemia yeah. is at nine it was pretty weird right so at nine years old you then had to a understand the world around you to begin with understand that you have monsters inside your body you were in school. Did you have to drop out? How how did that work? Did you have friends at the time? Did your family have friends at the time? I can imagine this seriously impacted everything. Yeah, well, luckily I was actually homeschooled at the time, so I was able to just kind of take a break but continue to to learn what I needed to. And um, with my, I've heard it at that time of like, I guess it was all like old people that I knew that got cancer. So that was interesting for me. I didn't really have any young friends or young adults that I knew that had cancer, but my family was a huge support for me and they were right there for every step and that definitely helped a lot. So what sort of side effects do you get at 9, 10, 11 years old when you're pounded with chemotherapy? Well, I definitely got nauseous a lot. That was a huge side effect for me. Um, and I guess the rest of them that come that come with it, I remember having headaches and Different medicines would give me different side effects, but um, my parents definitely helped me kind of understand why I was having what effects at the time and just helped me get through that. So you started to speak 
at the age of 10, or am I misreading this? Are you, are you really that talented? No, that's correct. <laughs> at the age of 10, I started speaking. Not talented, I guess. That's, that's pretty incredible. So you started to talk about what at the age of 10? It started out just with a, a news interview at the hospital, and I, I was pretty terrified at that time. This is kind of embarrassing, but I'll tell it anyways. Um, before I was diagnosed with cancer, I was actually in speech therapy. And um, I, for whatever reason, like I couldn't get my R's right or whatever. So I did not like to speak in public. I didn't like speaking in general. But I started doing this news interview. And I think from that first news interview, I realized how important it was to tell my story. And uh, it one thing just led to the next. After I did that news interview, uh, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society saw that and asked me to be a spokesperson for them. Then speaking for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, the CEO of the Florida Panthers was at one of those events, and he saw me speak and asked me to come speak to his company. And it was kind of just a snowball effect of my story getting out there. And then you were picked up by our friends over at the Hyundai Hope on Wheels program. Um, exactly. And they do some really great work. We've actually had them on the show. Our board chairman, Leonard Sender, is, uh, I think, the chairman of their medical board. So there's a lot of good tie-ins here to what they're doing. Um, and then you started speaking. You were media trained. You went out on this, like almost like the circuit, <laughs> and you became this little cancer celebrity, right? Exactly. I came. I became this little cancer celebrity, and I was traveling around the country speaking and sharing my story, and it was a huge learning experience for me and definitely a time that I'll always remember, and it was really cool. So what kind of brought you to this moment in time now is because Lenny, uh, Dr. Sender, our, our, our board chair, identified you as someone who should come to our international conference, CancerCon, in Denver, uh, which I know you were at. You, your mind was blown. My mind was blown. Everyone's mind was blown just by being there. But had you ever known that there was other teen cancer patients in the world besides maybe who you might have seen in treatment? And were you ever at any like teen or young adult patient events up until you came to Denver? Denver was my first event that I was there with teen and young adult patients. And up to that time, I had probably met like a handful of other teens that were battling cancer. And I didn't realize the huge that there's this huge community of teens and that how much, what I didn't realize was how much we could all help each other in the teen and the young adult world. And that was what really stood out to me in Denver and what really blew my mind, and I'm sure yours as well. Well, we, we have a massive platform now to discuss not just your story and the teen story, but what is happening with all the teens now who are, Lenny likes to call you the Gerber graduates, you know, who <laughs> are no longer, you know, single digits are kind of, pseudo adults they're still minors but you really want to be just normalized in that sense but you also have the ability to talk to other children that are going through cancer obviously a very different message what do you do you find six seven eight year old children and talk to them i do i've spoken to groups of younger children and i think it's the same message it's just kind of told in a different way and um i think what they what they need to hear and what Teenagers need to hear is similar, but just definitely told in a different way. But they need the support as well. Right, because you're not going to talk to an eight-year-old about college. Exactly. <laughs> that would be a little confusing. Yes, I would imagine so. Um, so uh, one of the most surprising things when I met you and Brianna, we had you guys here at the stupid cancer office. I, I was 21, but I was 21 20 years ago. So life for me can't be quantified from a, like, what do I wish that I had? Because nothing existed in the universe. But today, what I find is there's a lot of pediatric cancer goodies. They make it very experiential. It's teddy bears and toys and games. And they started to invent these teen cancer centers a couple of years ago. But from what I understand, they're not really that perfect. They're not an ideal, but it's better than nothing. What, what are your thoughts on the teen cancer center? Well, there wasn't a teen cancer center available at my hospital, and I wasn't yet a teen, but towards the end of my treatment, I was 12, 13, so I could have been in that age range. But I've talked to other patients who do have these teen cancer centers available for them, 
and some of them sound really amazing and really great, but I also know that there's a need in some of them for some more teen-specific treatment and care. What are some of the um, the issues you face now? We, we talk about the consequence of cure or living with cancer's impact as a chronic disease. I think um, some of the things that always that always come to my mind is I I don't know exactly how to word it, but like the consequences of survival and I'd seeing other kids like me diagnosed and some of them don't make it. And I think that's very hard for me seeing other kids that, who sometimes battle the same exact cancer as me and don't make it. So that can be very hard for me. And also just the side effects and the late effects of cancer are very overwhelming and can be hard to understand. So could you go into a little more detail about any one or two specific side effects you face? I, I, a lot of people in the general public think, oh, you're done, right? Get on with your life. Stop complaining. Yeah, there's actually several uh, late side effects, and that's what you hear a lot. It's like, oh, you're done. Like, congratulations. Like, move on with your life. But the chemotherapy and the medicines that we take can uh, last, like, very long and concentration is one of them that they're still just figuring out that you can get chemo brain and that the it'll cause you to have like have trouble focusing in school and the list just goes on and on and it's really something that's difficult to deal with just understanding it so you there's a conversation finally happening like in for real which is this notion of pediatric transition to young adulthood which means that when you go off to school, you're seeing a primary care physician on campus. Or when you move out of your parents' house, you're seeing not your oncologist who may not know that you had cancer when you were 9 or 10 or 11. Has there been any discussion about that with you in terms of when you're 18, you may still be treated or considered pediatric, but you may want to move to New York, wink, wink. You may want to move to, you know, go live your life, go to Europe for a couple of months. And how are you able to understand what happened to you and articulate that to doctors who don't understand long-term pediatric cancer? That, that is for me, at least, and for Lenny, is, is how do we mitigate that and what role can ambassadors of teen cancer play in that? H- have you had any conversations to that effect? Right. This is a huge issue and something that I thought about a lot because if I go off to college, and um, my doctors here that are here that know everything about my treatment, like what will it be like with the doctors there? And it's something that I think needs to be discussed more and something that was talked about a little bit at CancerCon, um, just with me and Brianna and a few other young adult cancer survivors. And it'll be something that it's really interesting to see how it plays out for me in the long run, but there hasn't been much discussion. Right, and this is part of a lot of the initiatives we're trying to put together with our partners here what does teen cancer mean and what are the consequences of surviving into young adulthood? It's a blessing and a curse. Better blessing, of course. I have issues 20 years later, but better than the alternative. Mm-hmm. And I think we all just nod our heads at that. So, exactly. so, so one more question here. Um, you, you've toured the country. You've talked on the Hill. You've legislated. What, what's what been the most exciting, and don't say CancerCon if that's the answer because I know that's the answer. Besides CancerCon, <laughs> What's been the most exciting thing that you feel like you've been able to accomplish, whether it is on the Hill, doing media, talking with whom? Well, besides cancer, (laughs) that would be be difficult to say. But one thing that definitely stood out to me was I I was able to speak at an event with President Clinton, and I thought that was pretty cool. But speaking on the Hill has been a huge thing for me, just kind of getting my story out there. But... My favorite all-time was doing a national commercial for pediatric cancer awareness through Hyundai Hope on Wheels. And um, that was just so cool because it really got my message out there across the nation, and it was a really cool experience. Well, we are all incredibly proud of you. You're doing an amazing job, and I couldn't think of a better, we would call you a compatriot in my old man language, uh, a partner in crime to help stupid cancer (laughs) develop our teen initiatives with Brianna and all the other teens that are sort of scrambling at this point from what I hear about the DC event to become part of everything we're, we're, we're building. And, and I can't wait to see you. I know you're in Florida, but, uh, you know, stop by any time and hopefully I will see you in Denver next April. 
yes, I'll definitely be hoping to be there, and I'm super excited. All right, CJ George, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. All right, take care. You too. All right, Kenny, and now, the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for the meetup alerts and never miss an event again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own Stupid Cancer Meetup, visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. All right, Matt, we've got some events happening. Just one this time around in San Diego, California. Very nice. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create your account and instantly start chatting with someone just like you who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our community of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers from around the world right now. Instapeer.org. We launch a newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer's expensive. Check out cancermademebroke.com. That's cancermademebroke.com. Our national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You didn't ask to get sick and your community wants to help. Again, that's cancermademebroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. Support our programs and services by heading over to stupidcancerstore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new Stupid Cancer gear. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And, and that, that is your Stupid, stupid cancer, cancer News. Continuing our show, in our main segment, Brianna and Lorraine Comerford. Hello. L- live here in studio. Yes, we're excited Hi, to be here. Yes. All right, so I'm going to read. These are long, but I'll read them. They sound good over music, too. Brianna Coverford, nine years old, just like CJ, when diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma, had to endure a year's worth of chemotherapy. While cancer was the worst thing that happened to her, she says it was also the best thing in so many more ways. She's since been cured. Big applause for that. She's become a spokesperson to advocate for children with cancer and teens with cancer, now a senior in high school, turning 18 in November, uh, preparing to apply to colleges, join the real world. Actually, college is partially the real world, uh, where she hopes to study broadcast journalism. And her mom, Lorraine, lovely Lorraine mom. I'm going to call you mom the whole show. Wife and mother of three girls. You have two sisters. I think I knew that. I do. Uh, after being a teacher for 12 years in Old Tappan, that's Jersey, right? That's I forgive Jersey. you. Uh, she's now head of office, the head office manager for the J.C. Landscape Contractors. She was the primary caretaker for Brie when she got sick and said, I'm so proud of her passion and commitment to her mission of fighting against pediatric cancer. Please welcome, in our continuing saga of what the hell is teen cancer, Brianna and Lorraine Comerford. Thank you for having us. No, it's great. So this is kind of a sort of a tag team show because CJ is sort of part of our mishpacha here. And this really is how do we wrap our head around teen cancer? It's been discussed. We heard uh, Robin from Hope Lab talked about they did a teen initiative 10 years ago. And that was to get them to take their drugs and improve and build community through gamification. But has that translated? I believe it has to this larger conversation as to look at all these kids now that are thriving beyond cancer. I think cure rates for blood cancers are in the late high 80s, early low 90s now, which is insane and amazing. But it's mm-hmm. yielding tens of thousands of patients every year who aren't eight anymore, who have different needs and research beyond the medicine and the life of teens with cancer. And what do you need? What don't you need? And I just want to say one more thing before you we start. What I found most interesting, and I alluded to this uh, during CJ segment, we had asked you. And CJ and some other teens, A, what do you wish that you had had? What was missing? What was given to you that didn't matter? And what would you like to see happen for teens with cancer? And it was almost a joke, but you said, stop with the Xbox, mm-hmm. which is kind of a jab at the teen cancer centers, I suppose. But is it really that they're trying and they don't understand or you don't feel like you're being heard or they still think you're just children and they're going to make decisions? I'll open that up to both of you to just start that and we'll tell the story afterwards. Well, I definitely think that teens in the cancer world lack the much-needed support that they should have. Um, 
not just my hospital. I was treated at Columbia here in New York City, but at every hospital across the country, there is so much to do for little, little kids, like games and activities, and so much to do for adults. But this teenage age group is kind of an awkward age group that's so neglected in the cancer world. So, yes, we do joke and we say no more Xbox, but we do mean it also. Yes. So, mom, caregiver. My dad was 47 when I was diagnosed at 21, and he would have done anything in the world to meet another parent who was told that your son has six months to live. Were you able to find any support as a caregiver? Or what we hear so much is that you're so caught up in just help my child, save my child, that the caring for yourself and worrying about yourself just falls by the wayside. I will tell you that that very beginning days of di- early diagnosis were really breath, they just take your breath away and your main focus is, what is this all about? We knew nothing about pediatric cancer. I never knew another kid that had cancer. So the main focus was, what what is this? What do I do? How do I get through this? It wasn't so much that I needed camaraderie then. I didn't need other parents. I needed doctors to tell me what to do and caretakers. It was the when I needed that support was when Brianna was done, when all of her treatments were over and we thought, great, we're done with this. That's when I needed the most support. That's when I felt like I should be happy and I should be able to move on now and I can go back to work and go back to living our, my life. And that's when I felt the most need for support of other parents. Right. And we, we hear all the time that the last day is like when the kickstand gets up and, and you, your anchor is gone. And, and what now? And you've gone through all this stuff where it's almost, almost like a comfort to know that there's this routine happening and that it's gone. Yeah. The worst part was when we got to go home and everything was all done. And the next day I said, well, what do we do now? Right. And where do we go now? What are we doing today? Mm-hmm. We need to go back to the doctor. We yeah. need to go to the hospital. We need to get to a clinic. Right. For something. Yeah. Because that was our routine for a year. We went to the clinic or the hospital or a doctor every day. And that it was, was our form of normal. Yes. There was no normal, but it was just our life. So this goes back to nine years ago was before Dr. Google ruined everyone's life. So where did there was nowhere to surf. Like, what did you do to scramble for resources? Or did you? Or did I did you, have Google. You did? So Brianna's 17 now, so it was only seven years ago. Okay. So we did have internet, and the first thing doctors tell you to do is do not go on your computer. <laughs> However, Google became my best friend. Right. That's what I did. I mean, you know, we were in the hospital. It was 2 a.m., and I was searching for somebody to give me their laptop because I went there with just my purse for the day for a doctor's appointment, not knowing that we're going to stay there for a month now. Right. And I needed a laptop, and I needed to find out as much information as I could. Whether it be accurate or not, I needed information. So, again, another um, Hodgkin's diagnosis at nine, very rare. Yes. Typically ALL, CML, CLL in children. What were your symptoms? Well, I actually have a crazy pre-diagnosis story. My very first symptom uh, appeared in my neck. There was a swollen lymph node. And at first, for about a week or so, the lymph node just stayed there. It didn't go away. So we just thought it was nothing more than a swollen gland. Um, We then went to the doctor at our local pediatrician. And after being reassured that everything was okay, we went on with our lives. Um, But after a week or so, the lymph node was anything but okay. More and more symptoms began appearing. I had night sweats, fevers. I was tired all the time. I had horrible joint pain. Um, and this actually went on for a year before I was diagnosed. Wait, who dare I out your pediatrician? No, we're, we're not going to out our pediatrician. <laughs> but so from that pediatrician visit, we were then referred to a local hospital in New Jersey where I met with a variety of different specialists. And the very first doctor was an oncologist mm-hmm. who right away suspected that it was cancer. However, after biopsying my abdomen in the wrong spot, it came up that I did not have cancer. (laughs) So from there, we went on to see pulmonologists, hematologists, infectious disease doctors, all of which could not diagnose me. So a year went by and I was getting sicker and sicker. I couldn't play sports. I had to get homeschooled. Um, And it was just getting worse and worse with no end in sight. So eventually we went for a second opinion at Columbia University Medical Center, where I was finally diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. You can plug your oncologist at this point. Dr. Michael Weiner, shout out to you. Yep. <laughs> Who saved her life because we did have many doctors that were misdiagnosing her. She was treated for Lyme's disease and rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. and mono. 
So we were very, very lucky to finally get to Columbia Presbyterian. Right. We talk about this too. In in the even in children, the late the late diagnoses are much greater in the under forty when there's no screenings or prevention or risk factors. Mm-hmm. And that what is the role of pediatricians? We talk. We I've done. We did a whole show in the American Medical Association. Where is the responsibility? If we don't place blame or put burden on recognizing symptoms of cancer in children at the pediatrician level. And I i don't know if there's been any change or anything different now, but this is always the how are children diagnosed and how do we get them diagnosed earlier if they show symptoms. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and Lenny and I talked about, like, if a kid keeps coming back, that's when you take notice. If it's every week, every two weeks, every three weeks, and you keep throwing things at them, there's probably something wrong with them. We've asked Dr. Sender and Dr. Weiner the question over and over, how is this misdiagnosed for so long? And they're both, Dr. Sender and Dr. Weiner have told us, look forward, don't look back. Mm-hmm. What is that will change? And so that's what we've been trying to live right. by. Right, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, again, fourth grade. Yes. You, were you homeschooled? Like, like, no, I was okay. not homeschooled. Okay, okay. I went to my, like, Public elementary school. Okay. Um, so the misdiagnosis actually happened in third grade. Okay. And so I had to miss part of third grade and then be homeschooled for all of fourth grade. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And I was a big soccer player, cheerleader, and horseback rider. So all that had to stop as soon as I was diagnosed. Did your classmates miss you? Did the school yes. do anything? I actually have, shout out to like my family, all my friends. I had, everyone made such a horrible experience, such a easy, less painful experience than it should have been. Um, I have the best friends in the world. Um, The worst part for me through all these cancer treatments was losing my hair. I always had really long hair and I loved it. And all my friends knew that. So right when I lost my hair, uh, right before it, I cut my hair really short so it wouldn't be as messy falling out. And all my friends cut their hair with me really short. Well, that's awesome. That's some really good solidarity. Mm Mm-hmm. And a shout out to her public school, too, because they did a great job in homeschooling her. And her teacher, Mrs. King, kept a desk in the classroom, even though Brianna never spent a day that year there. She kept a desk with all of her supplies and had things coming back on on her desk every day. So I want to go back to the caregiver conversation, because I I just feel like it's so underrepresented. And rationally, yes, we want to be there for the person and at the risk of our own, you know, mental health. And and this is very true because a third of our programs on at CancerCon here on the show are all about caregivers. Whether you are a parent of a child, whether you are a sibling or a spouse or a partner of a young adult, whether you are a child to a parent, what is it like for you and what are you missing, what are you needing? Looking back, even though Lenny said to look back, were there things that you wish you had been told or needed in that in the moments when you say you didn't think you needed them because it was wasn't until after she was told go home that you felt you needed them what was missing if anything there was a lot missing and I just think that's because if this is all new and up and coming and there's just so many more kids diagnosed every day mm-hmm. we just in our small town we know so many kids that are have been diagnosed just this past year so I think that back seven years ago the focus was on the patient they're trying very hard to bring in services for the for the parents and the caregivers. Um, I think the biggest part that of my job was to be an advocate for Brianna, and that's what I tell parents now is to keep your own records, keep your own notes, ask every question, write everything down. Sometimes they would the nurses or or the medical team would say, "Oh, you don't need to write that down. We have all this," mm-hmm. and I would just say, "No, I just need it for myself." Right. So I think I wish there was was maybe a social worker for parents and to give us education because any education that I got was off the computer or the few minutes that I can get my doctor's ear, Brianna's doctor's ear. Um, And that's hard to come by when they've got so many patients to treat. So basically just resources, access is what we we use in the medical world, Mm -hmm. access. So CJ wound up becoming like this public speaker at the age of 10 (laughs) (laughs) Did you follow a similar path? I did. I did. So um, shortly after I was diagnosed, my treatment was year long. Um, So like right after my treatment phase, I began working with a company called Hundy's Hope on Wheels, like CJ. How did they find you? 
It's actually a funny story. So what they do, it's a joint effort between Hyundai and its dealers, and they travel the country donating hope grants to different pediatric cancer centers. So they happen to be at Columbia University Medical Center donating a hope grant. And this was actually during my treatments. I was neutropenic at the time. So I couldn't go out and see the ceremony and put my handprint on the car. So I had to watch it from the window. I had to watch everyone else have fun except me. (laughs) That's a sad face moment. Yes. But so that was when I was first introduced to them. I kind of got to see what they were all about. And then later that year in April, they were at the New York Auto Show having another Hyundai's Hope on Wheels ceremony. So that was right after I finished my treatment and I was well enough and not neutropenic. And I got to go and kind of meet everyone and see what they were really about there. Um, And that's kind of how I found out about it. I got to meet the former national youth ambassador for that, Sammy. And she told me all about what she did. She traveled the country and shared her story and met incredible people. And that day that I met her, I said, I want to be just like her. Nice. So that's what I did. I filled out an application in their national search, and they chose me as their 2012 National Youth Ambassador. Wow. And you traveled the country. You spoke Mm -hmm. to Congress. I heard you did something with, um, I just dropped your name. Um, Nancy Goodman. Thank you. Nancy Pelosi? (laughs) Yes. 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 So um, this is actually the coolest thing I've ever done since I've been cured is I was an advocate, a congressional lobbyist, for the Creating Hope Act. So what the Creating Hope Act is, it was uh, pioneered by Congressman McCall of Texas and Congressman Kelly of Pennsylvania. Um, and I actually had the connection with them because Congressman Kelly was a former Hyundai dealer. Oh, okay. So I got the connection there, and they invited me to help advocate for this bill that they were doing. So the Creating Hope Act would encourage pharmaceutical companies to make more drugs for kids with cancer. There has not been a new drug created for kids with cancer since the 70s. Right. So as a pediatric cancer survivor, I got to go on the actual Congress floor and lobby to congressmen and congresswomen um, and get their signatures for this bill. So I was responsible for acquiring the signature of Nancy Pelosi that... that uh, action made the bill bipartisan so that was a pretty big deal that's very impressive very impressive thank you definitely a proudest moment you must be thrilled mom i'm so proud and so thrilled i didn't i was not allowed on the congress (laughs) floor i got to sit outside on a bench but i heard all about it afterwards yes and i'm proud to say that the bill is now passed and in effect and saving lives so how what, what drugs do you know if any have been created by it you can't pronounce them, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they're too long to pronounce. <laughs> syllable, 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 syllable. The, the drugs there. So that's great. And again, we met because you came to our international conference. Yes, which was amazing. And again, I'll ask you, I asked CJ, was this the first time you'd ever been in a place with any other cancer patients that were not six? Yes. So through my work with Hyundai's Hope on Wheels, I got to meet many, many cancer survivors and patients from across the country, but they were all six years old. Yes. So CancerCon was really the first time that I got to be in a place with 700 people just like me who Mm. knew my story and knew what I went through before I even said a word to them, Mm -hmm. which was incredible for me to be somewhere with people just like me. So Kenny and I, we've been talking about getting, because I hired Kenny in 2010, he was employee number two, and it's been over five years now. Seven. What? We're in our seventh year. Oh, oh, nine, right? When did you just, start? Just seven. Don't mess with my brain. It's very fresh. It's made of jello. So we've Kino always brain. talked about how do we get the, to the college campuses? How do we get to the high schools? And it's taken a very long time because it's a very difficult community to break into because I still think it's wedged in this world of pediatrics. And when you're not six, you're not aware that there's a world outside of pediatrics. And we want to be able to be that bridge between pediatrics and growing up. So when you came to CancerCon, my hesitation when he told me you, you were coming was, are they going to fit in? What's, what's a 16-year-old going to do at CancerCon? We're all like 28 years old and 35 years old. Um, but it worked, right? It totally did, yeah. Regardless of how old everyone there was, they were much more relatable to me than a 6-year-old, which was Really cool. I I loved how you guys sat us by our diagnosis or sometimes even like what state we were from. Um, so you could kind of meet people who went through the same thing as you or lived in the same place as you. And you could kind of make this like in-depth connection that you don't even have with your friends. 
So, and that was my big aha moment is, is it works. It works for all ages. And it's like you said, someone knew your story before you told it mm -hmm. to them. Were you there, Lorraine? I was there. Brianna and I went together. She was 17, so she needed a Clearly. parent with her as well. What was your takeaway? So, well, I don't know if you know this, but we didn't know we were going to CancerCon. You didn't know? We didn't know. We were invited by Dr. Sender so that Brianna could speak at his conference. Oh, okay. And Brianna saw him at the auto show a couple weeks before, and she said, sure, I'll come. So she came home to me and said... Mom, you need to get me to Denver next week. <laughs> <laughs> and he did mention things about stupid cancer and CancerCon, and it's so great, and blah, blah, blah. But Brett. So I, I knew I was going to CancerCon. I knew it was ran by stupid cancer, but I really did not know I was walking into a conference of 700 people. Right. So when we walked through the doors of that hotel, two of us looked at each other and were blown away. We said, what is this? <laughs> what is CancerCon? She did her talk with Dr. Sender, and then she said to him, can I go join in on CancerCon and spend the weekend and, and join in on these conferences? I, at that point in time, so Brianna was seven years out of treatment, I didn't know she needed anything else. I thought she was fine. I knew she has medical issues that, that we have to deal with, but emotionally, I thought she was fine. When she, she had so many ups and downs of emotional times during that weekend, and on our way home on, on the plane, she broke down and she said, I am so glad I went there. I gained so much information. I gained friendships that I'll keep forever. And I really, really needed this for number one, for her emotional self and for her medical issues that she has to deal with now. And she's had nobody else to talk to about it because she doesn't want to talk to her doctor about it. She doesn't want to talk to her parents about it. These are things that she wanted to talk to other people, other kids because i can say they're kids <laughs> that are going through the same thing that she's going through and the cancer world's a very small world see that to me is such a um, one of those like i would never think of that where the, my dad i wonder it makes me think of when did, did my dad ever think i was just fine like i didn't know you needed this that, i did that, that, i did that's not the power know. moment of the show right now and she <laughs> didn't know she needed it, i don't i don't think either until we finished the weekend, right? And she, and the two of us were were just so thrilled that I mean we live right in New Jersey, stupid cancer's right here in Manhattan. <laughs> yes, it is. How did we not know this? Right. So there, we've got to figure out how to get everybody to know stupid cancer when they're teenagers. Right, and and that's our big challenge: is the world that doesn't yet know who we are. Can I share that Steve Jobs quote? Well, I was I was building up to exactly that because you basically said the Steve Jobs quote without saying it, and you sort of adopted that. So, so Steve Jobs once said, <laughs> Steve Job, Jobs once said, don't give people what they need, give people what they don't know they need. Exactly. No. It's close. Don't give people what they want, give people what they don't know they need. Yes. And for me, Stupid Cancer and CancerCon was exactly what I did not know I needed. You know, as my mom said, we live right in New Jersey. I had no idea about stupid cancer. Right. But now that I went to CancerCon, I'm so grateful that I'm a part of this big picture. Yeah, we're trying to eliminate the sentence, where were you when I needed you? Mm -hmm. Which is For what sure. this is, exactly. So let's then talk about what we've accomplished in the past couple of months. We've been really hungering down on what does teen cancer look like after cure? And I hate that word, but it's just a word that we kind of use. Mm -hmm. Because do you ever realize, disease-free. I don't, I'm yes. 20 years out, I don't feel cured. I'm like, I, there's nothing in my body, which is fine. So what could that look like? What does not exist mm -hmm. right now? What is it that you now know you didn't need that we can do for other people that don't know they need it? Well, the biggest and most effective thing I took away from CancerCon um was that I made connections that will last a lifetime, connections that I didn't even know I needed, and people that are there that I now have to talk to about anything I need. So as a teen cancer survivor, and for all the patients out there on behalf of them, I think that the teen cancer community needs a community. They need a unified group of people to talk to and connect with and share their issues with. Well, there you go. And parents of teens, My again, my father has been... I keep going back to him because, A, he's my father, but he has been single-handedly responsible since 2011 for building the Parents of Stupid Cancer educational initiative at all of our events, which is why he kind of goes to all of them. 
because he's the mayor. But he speaks on every single one of the workshops and panels about caring for the caregiver, caregiver burnout, parenting with cancer, and I, he is building the things that we want every one of you to, to not to not know you needed, but to find out about. And then that's the teen cancer, teen stupid cancer concept. Mm-hmm. We've been canoodling for a couple of yes. weeks now, which and, I'm so excited. about. Yeah, so it, we're we're building this. We hope to partner with a couple of organizations to see it to fruition in pilot form in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, and this all goes back to Instapeer, our mobile app. And I wanted to just end the segment with you telling me more about, like, teens. We wanted this to be built by and for teens. And Kenny and I go back to, he was 17 when his dad was diagnosed. I was 21, but let's pretend I was 17. What would we have wanted that was different than what everyone else needed or could have used and these days we're not going to build a mobile app for my dad or for boomers we're going to build it for children and teenagers mm-hmm. and then your mom will use it it'll be uncool and then we'll build something else <laughs> with the teeth <laughs> to use it so talk to me about when you first learned about the idea of, of mobile con- connections mm-hmm. well for me as a pediatric cancer survivor who's now a teenager as my mom said, I can go off of that. There's so many things that I still want to talk about that I don't want to talk to about my doctor or adults or you or anyone else besides people just like me. So when I first found out that there was an app such as Instapeer that I could fill out all my filters, what's like me, what's not, and then find matches based on that information and connect with these people, I was absolutely blown away by that. Um, and especially... At all these hospitals all across the country, they have so much for little kids, so much for adults, and then they may not have much for teenagers, but there also may not be many teenagers at that hospital. You know, I had stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. There might be another girl my age like that in California. Well, how do I connect with her? How do I find out about her and talk to her? And so that's what blew my mind about Instapeer is that I could connect with people just like me and build relationships with them. Without having to pick up a phone. Yes. Well, you're technically picking up a phone. You're not dialing yes. the phone. <laughs> yeah, we talk about... Uh, remember cords? No, I remember. <laughs> yes, you don't remember, I remember cords. cords. No, I don't. I was talking... It was funny. It was, my dad's like, what, the expression, don't touch that dial. Yeah. Back when phones had dials. Yeah. yeah. You don't remember that. No. No, Nobody. actually, this is a funny story. I'm the only one that remembers that. When I was working here in the summer to um, work on Teen Stupid Cancer, someone referred to someone as a Rolodex. Oh, yeah. I think it was you. Yeah, it was a Rolodex. And I was like, what is that? It's your address book on your phone, but 20 years ago on paper. <laughs> That's a fair way I'll to put it. I'll show you one at daddy's office. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really eye-opening to get an understanding from it. Again, I don't know where in the karma of the universe, the timing of this, but just having access to actual teens that have actual cancer, that are articulate and understand what's going on. I mean, you being media trained definitely helps, mm-hmm. but- having the perspective and then i wanted to close out with you had this amazing meeting in washington dc with a bunch of other teenagers who were in treatment which is different than you because you're out of treatment but you're Mm -hmm. dealing with side effects what was it like for them to meet each other for the first time what are some of the issues they're facing being in treatment Mm -hmm. and what were some of the outcomes you saw from that meeting um well first to answer that question the thing that i love so much about stupid cancer and cancer con and this I then relayed to the teens at in Washington, D.C., is the Get Busy Living slogan. So all these teens at the Cancer Summit in D.C. were kind of, their motto was, okay, we had cancer, we dealed with it, but now we're cured. What now? Where do we go? And, you know, there's so many organizations out there that deal with curing you when you have cancer. And what they love so much about stupid cancer is that you guys deal with us after we're cured. And so their initial reaction when they found out about stupid cancer was, oh, my God, yes, like, get me involved. Um, Because I think it's all about kind of appreciating your experience and learning so many lessons from it and meeting incredible people and going incredible places with it Um, and just kind of getting busy living after that. So they're in treatment. So they're probably more in need of finding somebody like them. That that, that NHL nine-year-old in another hospital somewhere. And you told them about the mobile app, but you had told me that in the sort of the in the 
Q&A prior to it, they were asked, what do you want? And they said, we want a mobile app. Yes, which was really <laughs> funny, yeah. So um, they were pretty much 17s from across the country who were all newly diagnosed or newly cured. And the one question they were asked was, what do you need? And it was so funny because they literally described Instafear. And I think we, we did something right, Kenny, finally. Yeah, it definitely shows because <laughs> there is a need for it. And they literally said they wanted that. So we're off to a good start. For sure. And uh, again, like the whole concept of what next is the ultimate question. But when you're looking at children, the what's next is the next 60 years. And what more difficult time in your life to not have an answer to that when you're 16? You know, when you're 35, you probably have your shit together a little bit, hopefully. I mean, at 21, it's, this is the age where you need them. It's hard enough when you're not sick. It's hard <laughs> enough when you're well. So, I mean... So final thoughts then, Lorraine, what do you, uh, what, what's your take I'll on everything you, my, she's commented? I'll tell you my final thoughts on all of this stupid cancer stuff. <laughs> Since April, everything has changed for Brianna and, and for her survivorship. So she has spent seven years working really hard with lots of other charities. And one thing she said after CancerCon was, Hyundai Hope on Wheels, they have donated a hundred million dollars. That's correct. A hundred million dollars to research. The American Cancer Society, LLS, uh, the Valerie Fund. These are all organizations that Brianna has done. Um, she's a spokesperson for almost all of them. And she spent a lot of time doing that. And after CancerCon, she said, that research is so great. And spending all that money on research is so absolutely needed. However, we all need to live our lives. We're done with cancer. It's never coming back. We are moving on and stupid cancer is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. I want to move on from that and I want to get busy living. And this is exactly what she needs. And I, I was there with her in Washington, D.C. and the other seven teenagers all felt the exact same way. They need They need to have services, have things that they need in their life to move on, not to stay put in the cancer world, they, they're staying in, the cancer will be part of their lives forever, but this is what they want to do to move forward. And I think stupid cancer is where it's at. You know, there's a, for, take it at face value, there's a great Lance Armstrong quote that said, cancer may leave your body, but it never leaves your life. <laughs> in one form or another, it's always going to be a part of you, whether you want it or not. And it's how you choose to work with that, to help yourself and help other people. And I, I remember him saying that on stage in 2006. I remember that too. And yeah. I tell Brianna that all the time whenever there's an issue that arises and she's not having a good time dealing with it, I just tell her, this is what God gave you and you're going to do what you have to do to keep yourself well. And it is what it is. Life will go on. And life is going on. We're really thrilled. 18 years old coming up in November. Yes. High school graduation just around the corner. I know. College, college plans? Um. I'm applying to a lot of colleges this month. My number one is the University of Miami. Um, I'm also applying to like Penn State, Syracuse, and Florida State. So right, cross I won't, your fingers. I won't mention Binghamton at all, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> no, go go south, my, my, my uh, young lass. Go south. Thank you so much for coming yeah, on the show. thank you so much for this having me. This is such an important conversation to have. Research doesn't end when you're cured. And we're here. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Lorraine, Brianna Comerford. Thank you so much. All right, Kenny. Closing sequence. Go for it. We'd like to thank our sponsors of this broadcast, Sigma Tau, Lily, and Spencer's. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 361st episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. And always follow us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank our guest, CJ George, Brianna Lorraine Cumberford, about Teen Stupid Cancer. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, 
It's the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from the chemo deck and on behalf of my team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here on the next exciting podcast of the Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks.